You seem to be off center on the video. You should probably slide your way so. But then I feel like we'll be off center on the Facebook video. Maybe. I don't know. Somebody, somebody's not not be happy. Oh, we're off center here too. Excuse us. <laughs> ah, there we go. The heart is in the middle. The uh, cross is in the middle. When calls the heart. So, Holy smokes. Usually Sunday night. You've got to catch up on that. <laughs> the season finale was this last weekend. Really? Already? It was so good. Such, you know, I'm, I'm watching The Rifleman pretty regularly with my breakfast and stuff. And they've got like 33 episodes per season. It's a lot different yeah. than today. I wish we where you have like four seasons a year. Of them right. Now. Well, When Calls the Heart is just once a year and it's 12 episodes a year. I'm yeah. like, this is not enough, people. Yeah. You look at these shows. Well, that's run for 20 seasons. Yeah. But three of them were all this year. What is going right. on? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, it was a great season. You need to watch it. Well, I'll have to check it out. It was real good. Anybody get shot? Uh, no, close. No, okay. Close. Lots of good things happened. Yeah. Any old characters come back? Are you referring to Lori Loughlin? No, no I'm just in general. <laughs> she did not. I think no. she was coming to Jack did not uh, come uh, back from the calls, dead. So. Yeah, yeah. But no, it was good. A lot of things resolved. A lot, of, a lot of rumors about Ty coming back from the dead. With uh, I've heard that. I think he has regrets. <laughs> but well, when the paychecks stop right. rolling in, everybody gets like, regrets. You think you go off we'll and all... do something else, but you're not. So you get used to a certain lifestyle, right? Then, you know, eating beans from a can. You get a little uh, too big for your britches. I'm pretty sure that none of these guys are eating beans from a can. Nobody does that anymore, except in cowboy movies. They still they'll do that. Why was that a thing? Out of all things, beans. Cheap and very, very healthy. There's a this, protein and fiber. Really, uh, beans are a very healthy food. There's a, I like beans. I'm fine with beans. There's a scene that stuck with me since childhood. Hates lima beans. Lima beans aren't great, but uh, there's a scene from I don't know how many Dennis the Menace movies remakes there have been, but there was one from the '90s when I was a kid, and uh, <clears throat> I couldn't even tell you who was in it, but it was a big thing and there was a scene from that where dennis the menace gets kidnapped like toward the end by some dude nasty dude and they're having like they're at like this campsite and i just have this vivid memory of this old nasty guy sitting around by the campfire he's eating beans out of a can and he's just making horribly disgusting noises while he does it this seems like a kind of a common element of 90s movies for kids there's getting somebody, kidnapped and eating somebody, beans out of a right, can. somebody kidnapped somebody that's you know either a Kind of a retro hobo look or character or whatever. Name one other '90s movie that has that. Everything about the bad guys in uh, Home Alone has that vibe. They're not kidnapping, but they're doing the. You know, have they? You look at them. You look at Joe Pesci and what's the other guy's name? I can't remember his name right now. Who's brilliant, by the way? Um, You look at them and they look like hobos that came off of a train from a Red Skelton skit. You know, so. Another good '90s movie that I guess think has that. Same, I think it might be the same guy from Home Alone, the guy you couldn't remember. Snow, you remember the movie Snow Day? It was a Nickelodeon, oh, yeah, yeah, it was a Nickelodeon it was movie. That was him. And he was the bad like snowplow driver yeah. guy, and he was kind of gross. So and yeah. and pretty brilliant yeah. at being gross. Good good comedy. Have we started this yet? Did you yeah, actually start it? I did. Sorry. Oh, for real? Wow. Yeah. So so welcome to our '90s. <laughs> hey, we are having a good time podcast. today. <laughs> so sorry. There's always this uh, this thing. We have to figure out if we're starting or not starting. And yeah, I started it. It was stealthy. You were you were like the ninja. You did say you were going to start it. I did. So but I wasn't that stealthy. No, but <laughs> I'm going to start it. <laughs> I thought that the conversation I continued. Was you didn't say ahoy, so I didn't know oh, if we true. were going or not. Sorry, so that's the key. It's my my fault entirely. I was. Well, let's talk about something of struggling. substance. Well, you know, as we're looking at uh, Numbers chapter five, we you know 
we took two at a time in the last couple because the, the big idea kind of stretched over those two chapters. Uh, and, and really, as we're looking at the first 10 chapters of Numbers, uh, it's, it's this phase of preparation for the journey that they're about to make um, to get to the Promised Land. And uh, as, they're, as they're getting started in this prep, we, we see various areas that they're doing that. So we start with uh, the organization of the tribes as, as God lays them out and, and has the census of the, of the potential fighting men. Uh, prepares them for war and organizes them around himself so that now after previously they would go outside the camp uh, to the tent right, of meeting. Right. Now the tent of meeting and the tabernacle are moved to the center of the camp and God is dwelling as he had promised in the midst of his people. So now, um, you know, they're, they're being organized uh, to be able to move. They're going to march in that same way. So in whatever happens, they have this physical illustration of God at the center of everything. And then, you know, the chapters three and four, we see the uh, the call of the, the Levites and the organization that the Lord brings to worship. And uh, so while everything is centered on God, that the worship is integral to everything that they do. So while the those who will uh, be ready to go to war, excuse me, and serve in, in a military capacity are, are there to defend the nation, defend the families. Uh, the Levites are there to defend the holiness uh, of God in the tabernacle and to defend the people really against themselves from, from the sin of presumption and, and trying to approach uh, so that the wrath of God breaks out against the camp. Uh, and then, you know, we get to chapter five and there's a, a different battle taking place. You're not fighting against forces from without. You're not fighting against the the uh, the presumption uh, against the, the uh, against the holy things and against the Lord but now you're fighting against the, the sin battle that's that's mm. within and so the focus in chapter five uh, God sort of um, has Moses reiterate uh, give um, uh, give sort of a it's not really a summary but just a uh, here are three kind of categories of law that he's going to uh, kind of stick in here in this particular spot, which is curious because they just spent the entire book of Leviticus receiving the law. Right. They spent the second half of Exodus receiving the law. They know what God is demanding of them. And yet here in Numbers, as we're making this transition into the movement to go into Canaan to, to have this conquest, which they won't actually get to in this book because of their sin and their grumbling, before they do this, God is saying, here's here's what you need to understand. I am holy. And because I am holy, I will not abide unholiness. God cannot dwell in the midst of uncleanness. Mm -hmm. So therefore, uh, we see these three pictures of, of sin being removed from God's people, from the camp. So the first picture of impurity uh, as captured in uh, infectious skin diseases, you know, the leprosy uh, and discharges and, uh, and the like Pretty gross. <clears throat> yeah and the defilement that happens from um, from touching a dead body all of these things uh, have to be removed and so he gives this uh, this clear picture that that anything that's defiled in this way is going to defile the camp and it must be removed it has to be taken outside the camp and then uh, secondly we see the impurity of uh, of, of um, unjust dealings, the injustice that happens between people. Uh, and, and so 
God explicitly states here, he's already made this clear from, uh, from the beginning of the law, but now he's explicitly stating in this, in this short passage that when you do any of the sins that you commit, implicitly against one another, and some of the translations make it explicit, when you, when you do any of these things, you, know, you wrong somebody, you cheat somebody, you steal, whatever, now this is defiling the camp as well just like the skin diseases would would defile the camp in that physical way these behaviors spread the when when we have injustice uh, that is not dealt with it's not punished then that injustice spreads and we become an unjust people and, and god will not dwell in the midst of that type of a thing so um there's a prescribed sacrifice for the sin of it the perpetrator of the injustice, if you will, uh, is required to confess the sin and then to to make a recompense, a restitution, uh, repay what was the, the cost of that wrong, mm-hmm. plus a penalty, if you will, of, uh, of an additional fifth um, of that value. And if you can't pay it to the person, you pay it to their family. If you can't pay it to the family because they don't have close relatives there, then you pay it to the temple. But all of that that restitution, uh, because the sin is first and foremost against God, the restitution is also owed to God. And God instructs that you pay it back to the person you've wronged. And if you cannot pay it to the person that you've wronged, then you pay it to the to the priest, to the tabernacle, uh, because you are, in essence, paying this to God right. in, in addition to your uh, sacrifice of atonement for your sins. And then the third area that uh, gets brought up is the the defiling impurity of infidelity. And, uh, you know, it's it's a weird ritual that's captured in here. And I think sometimes sometimes things that are fairly easy to understand, we make difficult to understand because we get caught up in the weirdness of it. And so, but it is weird. It, it is. And, and it's weird and it's supernatural. And when you see what's going on here, there are some dynamics that give us a different picture of God than how we often will portray it. And one of the things that I hear... Uh, is, boy, this is, you know, how terrible to treat women this way and, and all this kind of stuff. And we see the comparison because it is uh, what, what we might term a trial of ordeal, uh, trial by ordeal. We, right. we compare it to like the witch hunts and, and things like that, that, well, this poor woman, she's being accused. There's no evidence. And so now she's going to be punished. Well, it's exactly the opposite of that in reality. And and unlike most trial by our ordeal in any number of cultures, uh, and particularly what was common at that time in that place, um, this establishes God's priority of innocent until proven guilty. We think that that's part of just our jurisprudence here, uh, which we so often throw away, uh, as we were talking about earlier about the you know the quest that we have for immediate justice. Very often we throw away the idea that you are innocent until proven guilty. You're not guilty just because someone accused you. But here in this ritual, God establishes that the woman being accused is innocent until God proves her guilty. So in this particular trial, trial by ordeal, it's the opposite of how most of it went. Most of the time you were assumed guilty and you had to go through this thing. And if God miraculous or the God's miraculously saved you from this you know you stick your uh, hand in boiling oil or boiling water and if you're untouched by that and it doesn't burn your skin then you must be innocent but if not then you're, you're punished or, or put to death or whatever well that's 
just it just sounds really terrible and crazy on the face of it. God's perspective is just the opposite. Here is a ritual you go through that brings a curse, but there's nothing natural that brings a curse. When you drink water with some dust in it, it's not bringing you sick. It's not like it's, you know, let's go find some, you know, some horrible chemical we're going to put into it. Uh, You know, it's you're in the most holy, sacred place. You're getting this from the tabernacle. This is a place that cannot have impurity. So you're not passing disease through this water. That that is something that you cannot have. And so uh, you put this dust in the water. You go through this this ceremony uh, with the priest, and it's it doesn't just happen with anybody. You have to go to the priest. You have to be uh, applying the entire law that that in this area to the woman that's been accused, and if she is guilty, and there's no evidence, then God brings this out by supernaturally causing what would not happen naturally by drinking this water to uh, to cause the most translations would say your abdomen to to swell and your thigh to waste away or rot um, if thigh is uh, often a euphemism at this point so the newer version of the niv says uh, you'll miscarry and uh, your womb will dry up or whatever so which may or may, or may not be i think that that seems to be the case right. but in any case um this is not what would happen by right. drinking water with a little bit of dust in it that you you know then you write the curse uh onto the scroll and you wash this off into there so whatever ink may be coming into that it's not ink that we would see right. in later later eras there's nothing in this that's going to cause these things to happen mm-hmm. um, at the very worst maybe you get a tummy ache you know but but pretty much you're just talking about this is it's gross i'm drinking dusty some water. dusty water so the woman takes a vow <coughs> that sounds like a folk singer from the 60s she's uh you know she's taking this vow that essentially is saying i'm innocent i've mm-hmm. not done these things and if not may god bring this curse okay Amen and amen. So then the only way, the only way that she is proven guilty through the ceremony is if God intervenes right. to, to bring out that, that guilt. So a couple of things that we see clearly from that. First off, and this is how it primarily fits into the passage, the main idea is that marital defilement is a big deal. It impacts everybody. It's a huge thing for the camp. And when we get marriage wrong, then others are affected by it and God will not abide in the uncleanness of an impure uh, marriage society. And so which, boy, well, there's a whole lot we can say about that in today's culture. Yeah, but it's only a 30 minute podcast. <laughs> but we also need to recognize that our sins are never hidden from God. Right. And yet the God who knows all of our sins and our innocence, he knows full well what, what we have done and what we've not done when the accusers are lying and when we're lying, he knows all of this and God defends the innocent. And, and we need to recognize that this isn't some capricious, wrathful God. Um, he's, he's not a misogynist God or any of those things. He is establishing laws that value women and children in a way that uh, the, the surrounding culture did not. That, and so even when we see it as, wow, that's so unenlightened, it's dramatically different than right. what you would see in, in ancient culture. So God brings, or, or well, God gives value to all of us. None of us have value apart from what God gives us. Gives us, but um, 
we see that God always values women, always defends the innocent, but also justice demands payment. So always we're going to see uh, this, this picture um, of, of God requiring justice to be done, which is something we all cry for. Our hearts naturally want justice to be done, but we kind of have a sliding scale of what that means. We want justice to be done to the other guy. We want right. justice to be done to the one that I perceive as wrong. God is saying there's an objective right or wrong, and objective right or wrong is based in his character, not in ours. And so uh, when God calls it wrong, it's wrong. When God calls it right, it's right, period. And justice must be meted out. So for us, that that's a pretty bad situation when we recognize that if all sin is against God and anything short of God's perfection is sin, then I'm always going to be failing in, right. in that. I, right. I can I can do all these things, but I'm not going to get up to that standard. So on a on a grand scale, when we're talking about standing before a holy God for judgment, I'm in trouble. Right. So I, I was going to ask about that because it seems, and I think I, you know, whether it was last year or the year before, I was going through numbers and I was like, what, why, what is the point of all of this? Yeah. And I, I still, I'm, I'm like, okay, I, I get it. <laughs> but is, is a big idea here because there are so many rules and so many of these uh, atonement sacrifices that they had to make and so many rituals that they had to go through. And it seems like they were always sacrificing to, right. you know, to make up for their sins. And is all of this, because to read that and to re realize, oh my goodness, I do, I mean, I don't, you know, commit adultery every day, but I sin every single day. Only on Saturday. And um, that was terrible. <laughs> you don't know me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you do. But, but I'm kidding everyone. <laughs> you're going to get emails. Um, I lost my train of thought. So it's scary kind of to read this stuff and be like, well, I sure as heck don't live up to these standards and I'm right. not sacrificing animals every day. And I get that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for us. But is this the Old Testament, I guess, in general, but specifically, you know, passages like these, is it pointing toward that? Like we need to understand this and what it was and, and how we could never live up to that in order to fully grasp just what Jesus Very did. much so. This is one of the key reasons why it, it is a huge mistake on every level to do as uh, as Andy Stanley and others have, have suggested, I try not to mention names, but you know, it, it's become a thing. Um, that we should unhitch from the Old Testament. We don't need the Old Testament. The New Testament tells us everything we need to know. No, it doesn't. If, if all, I mean, to an extent, the, the content is there, but the, the New Testament Testament is given to, to reveal it, to, to um, I guess, unseal the scroll in mm -hmm. a sense, uh, to reveal the mystery in Christ. And apart from that, we can't really understand the fullness of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. But if we don't have the Old Testament as our foundation, then we can't rightly understand what Christ's sacrificial atonement means. Right. So to, that's what I liked you, about that. You're Bible, right on with it. That Bible program that I was reading it was a Bible in the year in the year program, but it went back and forth yeah. between you know passages in the New Testament and chapters in the Old Testament to kind of see or show where they connected and why why it mattered that this was there. And I I liked that, and that made it easier to understand. But it's interesting to me that this seems like a necessary 
building block to understanding the impact of the New Testament. Yeah. No, I, I think I think you're right. It's it's these are not throwaway things. Sure. We've, we've treated them as if they are, or as if they're nice mythological stories. Mm -hmm. These are real things that happen to real people in real time that God ordained to be in place for our instruction. So for for those of us who would come later under the new covenant, we get to see what even the prophets did not fully comprehend. Moses knew some of these things. He was obviously writing these things under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he didn't understand what we would understand later. Right. Even the angels longed to look into such things. So as we're as we're seeing the you know the Old Testament, uh, as, as many have said, the Old Testament is is uh, the gospel concealed, and mm -hmm. the New Testament is the gospel revealed, or, or similar com uh, comments. We see the mystery un unfolding in Christ. So it, it's it's clear that we're pointing in a direction. Right. So before you have the New Testament, you can understand all of these things to a point. Right. You can understand that there, there is a, um, a clear picture just in this, in these first five chapters of Numbers alone, just already. We haven't even gotten to the, to the good parts yet, and we're in some pretty amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. We see that God calls his people to, to organize, to to order their lives, every aspect with him at the center so that everything that we do revolves around God. Sounds a lot like Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. And as you're, as you're doing this ordering of life, that means that before my career or who I marry or where I go to school or how many kids I should have or what, you know, what I do with my uh, free time or for entertainment, all of these things are subjected, they're subjugated to uh, beneath this, this primary purpose of seeing God as the center of my everything, mm -hmm. right? So I, I have to start there to be able to understand, well, wait a minute, what about everybody else that maybe doesn't right. hear the gospel and, right. and all these different things? This doesn't seem right. doesn't seem just and fair. Well, it... it is not going to if we don't understand how things started right. in, in Genesis right. and, and how we got to this place. But for every human being ever, God is to be the center of everything. He is the purpose. He's the, the hub, the, the nucleus. Well, we don't do that. We're distracted by every possible thing in the world. And then on top of that, we see this the organization of the Levites and the tabernacle, which was in great detail in, in Exodus and Leviticus, and just a little you know, snippet here as we're dealing with the Levites. <clears throat> we, we're seeing a clear picture of God as holy. You don't get to come to God on your terms. You come to God on his terms. God, and, and we'll see this uh, when we talk about the Nazarite vow next time around. Uh, when you're going to dedicate yourself to God, you dedicate yourself to God on his terms. Not on your terms. You don't right. get to call the shots because God is holy. He's He is bigger and and purer and unthinkably different than what we are used to in this sinful world and in, in ourselves. So if God is everything and God is holy, then it stands to reason that our behaviors, our conduct as people who are His, reflect Him. We have to remove the defilement, the impurity, 
that makes us not reflect him. Mm. So everything we do that is sinful, everything that we do that is less than God's perfect, glorious standard. Which is almost everything. <laughs> dims, dims our reflection of him. It distorts right. our reflection. So you're looking, if we are a mirror to reflect him or a satellite to reflect him, there is... This is an obstruction, an impurity. You're looking at a dirty mirror or a funhouse mirror that is distorting the image of who God is. This is huge. It's everything. And so we have to get that right to be able to, to live for him. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not going to in ourselves. Right. So we need a savior. We need someone to do this for us. So Christ comes as the, the promised serpent crusher, as the fulfillment of all of these things. I mean, from... from from Jump Street in Genesis, right? Chapter three, everything falls apart. We, everything is awesome. We're created for God. We're created by God. Everything is for his pleasure. We, we, there's no sin. Where there's no shame. There's no guilt, no separation. None of the stuff that we're used to, right? Everything is pure and holy and awesome. And we break it, so to speak, right? So it, it just the whole thing is shattered. The rest of the Old Testament is pointing out that while we're created for this this relationship with God and our sin separates us from it. It breaks that relationship. So now all of humankind for all time is separated from the giver of life. Mm -hmm. We can't fix that with our good deeds. Right. We can't, you know, fix that with our religious acts. So the entire old Testament is dedicated to showing what that effort looks like to, to do our best using my little air quotes, to do our best, which we never actually are right. doing. We think we're doing, but we can't sustain that. Right. We can't live up to that holy standard on our own. We did before sin entered. Sin enters, and it's just not in us. It's not who we are because we're sinners by nature. So Christ comes and does everything that is required. Never for one moment in his entire life does anything other than the Father's will. No sin, faces every temptation, but never at any point does he let that temptation to the from the flesh and the world and the devil, even direct confrontations by the devil, which most of us, we're probably never facing the devil directly. We get, you know, the, the trainees, we get the, the rookies. So anyway, as Jesus is facing all of this, he never sins. Right. He knows no sin at all. But he becomes sin in our place, nailing it to the cross so that we can become the righteousness of God. He takes our sin outside the camp. He pays the penalty for our injustice. He knows full well that we are guilty and chooses to redeem us as his bride anyway. He makes us a radiant and holy bride, even though we are adulterous. It's, we're not the innocent bride. But at the same time, when he's declared us innocent because we've been credited with his righteousness, then any accusation that the devil can level against us or the world can level against us or our own accusing minds and hearts can level against us, when we begin to have those doubts, that holds no weight mm. against the creator of the universe declaring us holy, declaring us his. Now it only makes sense that as his, having been redeemed, having been made his radiant and glorious bride, that we should then live according to that. We should live, as, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, 
uh, we should walk worthy of the calling that we've received. We've already been adopted as his children. We're in a relationship that cannot be undone. We have been declared holy because we receive by faith the, the righteousness of Christ that we can't earn. Not by any merit of our, our own, not by righteous deeds that we've done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. Now, it makes sense that our our act of gratitude toward him isn't, hey, thanks, God. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna come cool. to church once a week and, yeah. and act like no. Now, because of that love, because he died for us when we were yet sinners, the only logical, reasonable spiritual worship is to make my life. My, my, my very body, uh, a living sacrifice for him. So now I want to renew my mind with his word so that his Holy Spirit in me can transform me from the inside out. Not because I'm trying to earn his favor, but because Christ already has and has given it to me. That is, is the freedom that we have in Christ right. to recognize that none of the devil's accusations mean anything. You call me a sinner? Yeah, I know this better than anybody. But there is one who died in my place to make satisfaction on my behalf. My penalty has been paid, and I've been declared righteous and free in Christ. So. Thank you for answering my question. <laughs> I think it was a great observation on your part. Uh, we will stop there before we run out of time. So if you guys have any questions or comments, feel free to leave us a message on Facebook or YouTube, or leave us a voicemail at the church or on Anchor, 269-756-RLCC, or you can send us an email at somethingreallifeonline.org. And Everybody do your homework and read the book of Numbers. And we'll be looking at chapter six next week. Yes, do your homework. This is a, this is a good do your this is a good book to do your homework for. So, yeah. thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you later. Bye.